going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your yes, hosts, sir. Ron and Chris. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again with a very special guest. We have Rick Holland, who is the CISO of Digital Shadows and also the SAN Summit uh, co-chair for the CTI Summit. Yep, and we're going to be there next week, right? Yes, right around the corner. Yep, that's going to be awesome. I've seen uh, the stuff that's on the agenda, and it's it's going to be a really good one. This is my favorite summit. I mean, I'm a little biased, but (laughs) (laughs) thanks for being on the show, Rick. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation, and I'm looking forward to next week as well. Awesome. So most of the people in the CTI realm know who you are already, but if you could, for the people that don't know you yet, could you talk a little bit about your background, how you got into threat intelligence and and sort of just your journey? Yeah, sure. Right now, actually my four-year anniversary is next week. So I've been CISO at Digital Shadows for four years now. And I run, actually, I run the Intel team. I run the internal security team. And then I also run IT oddly enough. And before that, I was a forester analyst. So that's actually how I got connected with SANS. I had a unique background as far as industry analysts go in that I came from the intelligence community. And so this was, I probably started first, well, I can look, I'm looking on my second screen. My first uh, folder for CTI Summit is 2013. So about 2013, I presented at the first SANS CTI Summit. Um, on the first research I did at Forrester. So I created our Threat Intel research, but I had been in Army Intel before that. So I was a little bit unique, you know, Threat Intel in the commercial sector was starting to come together. I had the, the intelligence community background and I was an incident responder by trade, you know, as a cybersecurity guy. And so it was a nice little blending. It's kind of right, right place, right time. So I built my name and my brand at Forrester with dumb jokes and Threat Intel content. <laughs> Nice. So what, what do you think was the, the biggest uh, milestone for kind of branching over to threat intelligence from just having more of a intelligence background from the army and also doing an instant response? It was interesting because I had the traditional Intel background. I didn't have a cyber Intel. The air force was doing cyber Intel when I was in, but it was, it was a new, it was a new discipline. So I got out of the army did tech support help desk, but I got into university of Texas at Dallas and I did incident response in EDU. And I have a great fondness for EDU. I loved, I spent two years at the campus. I was working on my bachelor's degree post army. I mean, it was just kind of interesting there. I started thinking about, we had to work with the FBI on some things. We started to think about, you know, what you would think of threat actor groups and things like that today and campaigns but I really wasn't putting the pieces together too much. It was kind of sounded familiar to me. It, I had flashbacks of, you know, stuff with Iraq. And I was like, this is kind of interesting. And then I went, I got to Forrester and I kind of had a voice and I started thinking about it and I started to write about it. So I, I just think it's, it's a similar discipline as far as grouping the threats, thinking about the threats. How do you put up countermeasures and courses of action against various threats that are out there? I mean, I geek out on it still. I love I love the threat. I love this week and last week with the Iranian activity. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. love... I don't love what happened, of course, but you know, that's, that stuff, that stuff gets an Intel person excited. Absolutely. So my first time actually going to the CTI summit was this past year. And I I can't believe it took me that long to actually go to the CTI (laughs) summit. But when I finally went, like, I really felt like I was amongst like my peers. Like, I feel like when you go to other cons, it's like a real like mix of, you know, disciplines and different functions within the security. But once you're amongst like other Intel analysts and people, you know, intelligence researchers and things like that, you really like start to feel like you're, you're at home. And I, I, I could sense that 
even just from the agenda that there's been a growth. And I, I can only imagine from 2013 till now, you've seen tremendous growth uh, within the summit and intelligence writ large. What are some of the big adjustments you've seen over time? I think the shift away from indicators might be one of the, the key ones. You know, early days, I remember Anomaly and Threat Connect would have like this battle on how many indicators their tips had. Oh, I have this many and then I one up you with this many. And I think, you know, it's probably, I called it indicators of exhaustion. IOEs was my kind of joke around hmm. it. And maybe four years ago is when I was talking about that that particular joke. But we've moved past the indicator. And I think David Bianco's Pyramid of Pain Mm-hmm. really was a helpful tool to kind of visualize that. And as you work up up the pyramid into the TTPs. So I think that was great. I think MITRE ATT&CK actually made something practical. You know, you take yep. people, I, I, last week, I'm sure the MITRE ATT&CK groups for APT 33, 34 were quite popular looking at the techniques of those threat actors and then thinking about your your controls there. So I've been quite fond of, of, of that transition. I, I think where we, and we've talked about this pre-show and your talk is going to, for CTI, someone's going to talk on is we'll talk in a little bit, I'm sure, on some of the planning and, you know, some of the fundamentals of setting up your program for success. Because I think a lot of the people in the Intel world, they don't still have this operational, technical, tactical focus, despite knowing that indicators aren't nearly as useful um, as once uh, we were told. Right. So one of the questions that I always am curious about is since there's been a huge step away from indicators, do you, do you find the exhaustion of being like now looking at more tools? Like at first we were looking at just kind of data and good and bad, but now there's a lot of tools to distinguish the techniques and tactics that the adversary can be taking. Yeah. It's like tools of exhaustion now. <laughs> I, I, I was just, uh, we just wrapped up Q4 and now we're in the new budget year. And so the last week of December, I was doing a bunch of renewals for various tools, you know, all the tools that Intel teams use couple new tools and I was sending an email out and it's like, Hey, let's make sure that we, we have our playbooks for these tools updated. So these new interns we bring on can get trained, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. And I was just looking at the list of, and this is just Intel tools. This doesn't even get into my security stack and everything that we have on that side of the house. So I do think there is some tool exhaustion. Although I think, I think the SOAR platforms, the automation orchestration platforms, have helped for those that can afford them with that. I was actually, I just listened, started to listen to your Threat Intel Bot episode from, mm-hmm. you know, last year. Oh, I forgot nice. when that was. And I think that's a really cool thing. You know, we we use, you know, chat ops or whatever for a couple different things from what we provide alerts from Searchlight, our product, into a room for my internal security team. So all of our alerts go in there and then we'll, then we'll kind of triage off of there. But yeah, I think the, the tools is a challenge and it can be a barrier for teams too, because these days, if you're, if you, you don't have Python skills, you know, if you don't have some dev skills, it's going to be tough to work with all these different tools and all these disparate data sets and transform data. So yeah, maybe we've gone from one exhaustion to another type of exhaustion. Yeah, I, I'm very curious to see where chat ops goes. I definitely see a lot of organizations working like kind of in, I want to say a single pane of glass. It's kind of weird to say that, but definitely seeing like a lot of like kind of collaborative spaces to just move data more quickly. It's transformed. There might be like automation behind the scenes. I know Slack has a lot of like automation that you can provide it, but I'm very excited to see what happens with chat ops and, and some of the newer technologies like that. 
Well, Chris, your, your, your company is bleeding edge when it comes to, to all that sort of stuff. Anytime, anytime yeah. Netflix publishes something to the community on tools and all that sort of stuff, it is just really cool to see what Netflix does to kind of support with some of the operations and stuff like that that's going down. Yeah, it's amazing. The, the amount of work and effort they put into tools that they put out in open source is, is insane. And the amount of support that, you know, the company gives is, is, is unbelievable. And I, I'll, anywhere I go, any conference, any class I go to, like someone always brings up a, a tool that we've developed. And, you know, just being amongst those people, you know, just seeing how they think, how they, how they develop has is, is really been a, a level up for me just being in the presence. Yeah. And, and looking at all of the, the resources out there, and I would love to pick you two's brain on, what are some things to keep in mind when building something like a threat intelligence program? Like what are like top three? I know Chris, you have the easy button, easy for button. <laughs> kind of defining and asking the right type of questions, but what about you, Rick? What do you see to be kind of prerequisites for things to think about and ask when it comes to building programs? I think I always think back to, there's a book called ready, fire, aim, which is the way we should not be doing it. It should be like ready, aim, fire. And I feel like with a lot of programs, they're just, you know, it's like the gun goes off and they're running a sprint, but it's really a marathon and they don't know where the course is. And, you know, they, they end up in limbo. I often would make a joke about for the fans of office space, which is a pretty old movie these days, but the bobs come in and the bobs are like, yep. what would you say you do here? And if you think you're a, a security leader and you've got budget for tools and automation and whatever threat intelligence platform, the bobs are going to come in and ask you, what would you say you do here one year later? Mm -hmm. And if you don't start off your program, right, you're not going to have success. So, you know, what are in, and I've, I've seen Chris's slide, so I know he's going to cover uh, this and I think it's going to be great, but I always do this hand raising exercise when I present, when I have audiences and I'll be like, how many people for publicly traded companies have read their SEC form 10 K right. and very few hands go up. I'll say how many people <laughs> sit in and listen to your earnings calls and very few hands come up. How many people look at your annual report? These things talk about the business initiatives, right? And I think so many times security people in general struggle to talk business. You could use these documents and private companies have their version of some of this stuff to say, oh, look, we're an e-commerce company and here's our consumer you know, reward program. And oh, this is going to be really important for retention of customers. It's one of our top three priorities for you. Well, maybe I need to look at the IT stack that's associated with that, how threat actors might target it, the third parties that are connected to it. So I think that business foundation is missing, not just from Intel programs, but security programs in general. And, you know, the security leaders that can't speak the language of the business, they're going to find themselves replaced if they, if they don't come around there. So that's one thing I always encourage people to do is talk to the risk committees, understand the business risks, look at the public documents that are out there, use Google alerts. It's probably too late for you to find out if your yeah. business is rolling out something new, but at least it's something. Right. Yeah. I, I got that 10 K advice from you last year. And so that was actually when I was transitioning over to Netflix. And so that was like perfect timing for me. You know, it gave me kind of like a leg up coming in. The other thing that I think people miss, and we've talked about this is requirements. So many people are kind of leaving requirements completely off the table when they're building these CTI functions. What is sort of your go-to for building requirements and where do you think a lot of people are missing the mark? Well, I would say a lot of it comes back to, you know, the examples that we said, but you would just take it a little bit deeper. You know, what are the things that I'm trying to protect 
what are the, you know, I think diamond model. And if you looked at victimology of the diamond model in particular, like who are similar victims to me? And then do I need to collect on those threat actors? Maybe it's hacktivists that are out there that are targeting me. Maybe it is a nation state. Maybe it's a cyber criminal. I mean, most people get, I did a, a, a thing last week on, so my God, I, I ran because people were just right. losing their mind with Iran. And I was making the point that most people don't have, should not have Iranian threat actors on their high up on their threat model. You probably might be more concerned with commodity criminals that are out there doing account takeovers based on credit card dumps that your employees are using passwords on because you don't have multi-factor authentication. So I think for building out your requirements and then your collection plan, it's look internal. What are you trying to protect? look external to see who's targeting you and people that look like you. And then you can start asking yourself questions and then you can start to be like, okay, what capabilities do I need to answer questions about those um, actors? When, when I'm working with many organizations and they're doing that type of research, I see there's oftentimes there's gaps where they're not sharing information or asking insightful questions to similar organizations. So like figuring out who you're, adversaries are also targeting what what are ways that you see that organizations can communicate and collaborate more for information sharing on like who might be attacking them and who are who's attacking you well i think i'll plug as a co-chair of the san cti summit i highly <laughs> recommend you come to the event no but but i, I will say since 2013 you know we've had repeat people coming i was listening to jennifer santiago on the, the last episode, and she was talking about the community at the DEFER Summit. So mm-hmm. The SAN Summit has a similar community, and you've had people that have made relationships with people in their or- peer organizations, supply chains that, that they wouldn't have met in person otherwise. I used to be a member of REN ISAC back in the day when I worked in EDU, and I still think a lot of the sharing is still built on relationships and trust. Come to DC, have dinner you know, come to Mystery Science Theater night with us and watch movies, make friends with people that are in financial services, and then you build relationships that way. I still think a lot of that threat intel sharing is still done through relationships, especially the first the first kind of relationship building of it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And we have a little bit of information, speaking of the summit, on yeah. how to get registered and uh discount code too. Yeah, yeah. The discount code is CTI Pod 20. That's Charlie Tango India Papa Oscar Delta 20. And that will get you 20% off for the summit. So if you're on the fence, this is something you definitely don't want to miss, especially if you are in cybersecurity in general. But if you are in intelligence, you have to be there. And so that'll be going on next week. We'll be there. Rick will be there. And I think it's going to be a good time. Absolutely. And so, Rick, so for everybody that wants to stay up to date with you, the podcast, and the things that you have going on, what are some ways that people can stay in touch with you? Yeah, I'm pretty active on Twitter. If, especially if you also like barbecue, you will see. Although, <laughs> although ironically, I'm mostly uh, vegan, but I still Wait, barbecue. What? Hold on, hold on. Keep, pause. Yeah, yeah. So you're really into barbecue and you're vegan. I'm probably, I'm more, vegan's not right because a real vegan would get pissed off at me. I'm like plant-based, like yeah. nine, 95% <clears throat> of the time. Um, I was just, you know, I've been, been a hard Q barbecue guy for about six years and I was smoking meat every weekend. And it's right. just not the, I mean, it's not, it, not, not the healthiest thing to have red meat all the time. So I kind of been tapering down. My wife doesn't eat a lot of meat. So I would eat vegetarian most of the time at home. And then I started doing it when I would travel and I would find that doing like whole food plant-based would be better for Cause I travel so much. It's terrible, but 
I still, I mean, to me, barbecue is very social. Kids come over, Girl Scouts, all that stuff. So I'll still yeah. cook. I do barbecues for Digital Shadows in the spring and in the <clears> fall. So yeah, I still eat, but usually it'll be something that I've smoked myself. Right. Or, or so I can do it without the without the guilt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and do you do any substitutions like you use you know mushrooms instead or anything like that for barbecue as well or? <laughs> I, because I actually will eat brisket that I cook, I don't do that so much, but I am pretty good with like cauliflower on the grill, Brussels sprouts on the grill, that sort of stuff. I reverse sear cauliflower, yeah. um, which is kind of funny because you'd rather reverse sear a steak. Right. So yeah, so I do have, because we have some friends that are like real vegan, so I can, I can cook up that way and then I can cook up some Texas barbecue for my other people and then me every once in a while. That is a bit ironic for a lot of people, especially when I see on Twitter. Yeah. So on Twitter, I'm Rick H Holland. There's two H's there. The other Rick Holland apparently is a, a minister of some sort and people always miss tag. And I'm sure this like this minister probably knows more about cybersecurity and barbecue right. than, than others out there. So yeah, so I'm very active on uh, Twitter. And then at Digital Shadows, I join occasionally, um, trying to do it more often this year, but my travel schedule makes it tough. But we have a podcast called Shadow Talk. So we do a weekly roundup. We'll do two or three news stories, have guests on. I'd love to have you guys come on as guests as well. And we can promote your podcast on our podcast too. That sounds awesome. great. Would love to. Well, that's it. Looking forward to seeing everybody next week. Rick, looking forward to seeing you as well. Thanks for being on the show. And we'll see everybody next time. Take care. All right. See you next time.